Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast, What's Your Delta? MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development, with your host, Janice Palaganis, who is the Associate Professor of Health Professions Education and the Associate Director of the PhD Program in Health Professions Education, along with Peter Kahn, the Associate Provost for Academic Affairs at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. Welcome to What's Your Delta, MGH Institute's Three Tips for Faculty Development. You're here with Janice Palaganis and... Peter Kahn in quarantine. (laughs) How are you doing, Peter? I'm in a little box looking at lots of other boxes. That does not look like a little box, but (laughs) your box looks much bigger than my box. (laughs) I must say the best decision is we moved right at the beginning of the year. And otherwise, we would have been stuck in a thousand square feet with one bathroom. Oh, no way. Wow. Great timing. I I like to (laughs) give myself credit. Not so great for selling, but we're at least living with some elbow room. So, Peter... Thank you for your webinar on the promotions process, because I found that very informative. And, you know, as I'm going through the promotions process, as well as other people that were on that call, it's making me realize that there are lots of other faculty that are likely going through the promotions process or are not going through the promotions <laughs> process. And I just I'm think we can, <laughs> we can offer tips for it uh, to help people either motivate to do it or as they're, if they're doing it or going through it to have tips on how to do it in a way where, um, you know, it sets them up for success. Yeah, and I find it's particularly acute with health professions faculty, Janice, because they're often employed in places that don't have a traditional tenure system. Mm-hmm. So you never know, is now the time to go up? Or there's no penalty for not going up and you can sort of finish out your career at an assistant professor level. And really you probably measure your value through other things, maybe your clinical prowess or something else in your professional organization that the sort of academic rank can feel secondary. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to ask a question just kind of rewinding back to five years ago when I really didn't want to go through the promotions process. So, you know, I struggled with it. I, it, it looks like a lot of work. I, I don't, I didn't really at the time care much about you know, I just wanted to do good work. I just want to do good work. I didn't care so much about being recognized. And so what do you say to people who just don't care to go through the process? And that's their right. I want to affirm people shouldn't be forced to go through it because it can be a blow if you put your materials forward and don't get approved for promotion. And that can be pretty debilitating too. But the example that I turned to Janice that stuck with me now over 10 years was my previous role at a medical school. I had a, a medical school faculty member who was an assistant professor finally come to my door. I was the director of faculty development. And she said, okay, I'm ready to get promoted. And I said, great, but we've been doing workshops and we've had CV reviews and why now? And she said one of her favorite students was applying to, I think, a residency program or perhaps a fellowship, and it asked her for a letter of recommendation. And she said, oh, I'd love to. You're great. I really want to speak to your qualities. And then the student said, oh, but I see you're an assistant professor. Never mind. Uh-huh. Yeah, your letter is not going to carry weight right. at the next 
level right. and that motivated her she said if i'm not going to do it for myself i'm going to do it for the mentees for the students the trainees to sh- just be an example to them and uh-huh. to boost their own careers you know i and that is exactly what happened to me i i did not want to go through the process i didn't have interest in it back then my uh primary mentor was jeff cooper who is one of the fathers of patient safety. And he had, you know, said to me, he kind of sat me down and he was like, you know, Janice, you know, not many people have a faculty appointment in a medical school, especially Harvard Medical School. And we plan on hiring many more nurses into our department and you are essentially paving the pathway. If you can Mm -hmm. get through this, it'll be easier for them. And if you can do this at Harvard Medical School, can you imagine how many other medical schools would actually allow nurses to be faculty within their medical schools? And so he really shed light on the higher purpose Mm -hmm. and gave me more meaning to go through the process of promotion. And since then, I've carried it with me. And when someone says I should go through promotions, I, I think of that. And so maybe for those people out there that are not thinking of going through the process to think about the impact that they can create for other people, for their profession, for their field, for what they do to advance their science through their own promotion. And we think about, I'm talking about university administrator types, think about staff and how they lack a clear ladder of progression. Often it's a program coordinator, maybe a program manager, and that's it. And then you got to move somewhere else. And staff look at faculty with envy because it's so clearly laid out and it's available to them whenever they feel they're ready. They're incredulous. Any faculty member wouldn't jump at the chance Mm. to recognize their increased mastery to do all the things that you were saying. I love that. How lucky are we? That's so true. I mean, very, very few positions have very clear steps on their career path and their own promotion. Yeah, and part of the difficulty, now I'm speaking as a non-clinician, but as a close observer and friend of many that can lead to, I think, one of our ultimate tips is that people who go into healthcare tend to be selfless or they are motivated by helping others. And promotion requires quite a bit of self-aggrandizement. (laughs) <laughs> Which something that we don't have <laughs> certainly nurses i guess there are certain categories that the people who do have that and don't struggle with it but this is a chance where you can't assume i mean this was my naivete when i was an early career faculty member i went to the university had an end of the year faculty award ceremony for the whole campus and you know, for outstanding teaching, for outstanding research, and was all over. No one in my department had won anything. And I you know, thought so much about my, my mentors. And I was walking back with the chair. I said, how come no one from our department won? And she said, I didn't have time to nominate anyone. And I, I thought, Janice, that people just recognized excellence. I didn't know you had to be nominated. <laughs> I thought you can read their evaluations. You can see their publications. These people are doing great things. And it's the same way with promotion. You probably have all these qualities already, but no one just notices it. Mm-hmm. You have to put it on paper or, or now screen and trumpet all your achievements. And that's something that some of us are loath to do. That's so true. I mean, even all of the you know amazing faculty that I work with at MGHHP, I feel like I know one or maybe two of their successes 
And then over time, I realized different, you know, other successes because you don't talk about that frequently. And so having it in a documented form is important if you're, especially if you're being reviewed for your excellence or your impact. And a lot of applicants worry primarily about, do I meet the bar? When if you're on these committees, just as often or perhaps as likely is this person exceeds the bar. What took them so long? Why are they just now putting their name in? They could have been promoted a while ago. So I would love to talk about humility because I uh, I, I am having trouble with the, you know, shameless marketing <laughs> myself. <laughs> I And part of it, and I need some reframing here, Peter, because I, I do sit on other committees. I, I sit on committees where we do selections for fellowships, for different mm-hmm. fellowship academies that I'm a part of. And I have to tell you that the app, applications that I enjoy are ones that are are slightly written with humility and then you go to their CV and everything else and you're like, whoa, this person's amazing. They undersold themselves. And and in some ways, I actually kind of like it. I think it has a different effect with promotions. Well, now tell me, when you're on those committees, do you have a limited number of fellows you can accept? No. So they're not competing against each other. They're not competing against each other. And, um, you know, and, and I have to say that for the ones it's worked, so so here's my bias, is for the ones, the applications where it worked, they clearly met the bar just straight from their CV. And I would not know if there were others who undersold themselves and they just didn't make the bar and we didn't <laughs> accept them. But I did enjoy the ones that clearly met the bar and there was this sense of humility. It's difficult because... <laughs> You have to appeal to multiple reviewers, right? There are the Janus polygonuses who are going to give people the benefit of the doubt. And there are others who are going to hold up the criteria and say, where is the evidence of document 3.2? And they want to see it. And in that sense, they're not going to be doing the work for you. They've got a lot on their plate already. They shouldn't be digging around to find the, the proof that you've met the standard of the next rung up. So instead of, I think, shameless was the word you used, I like to think of it as graceful (laughs) self-promotion. Okay, that's a good reframe. That's that's, that's (laughs) part of the professional role is letting people know your expertise so you can help. And it's about conveying that in a way. Yeah, yeah, of course, you don't want to be arrogant. But I also remember when I was my first faculty role was an institution that had tenure and you'd heard there are all these sort of ineffable things that they look for. And one that is always hard to define is collegiality. Do they fit in here? And I went to my chair and I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure I meet the academic standards, but what about these sort of personal qualities? And she looked at me and she said, Peter, we tenure jerks here. Just, just focus on what you do. And that was very, that was a big relief. Like, okay, don't worry about what I can't control. Just tell my story. So what are the top errors that you see under this topic of humility that maybe we can give specific tips to our listeners? Well, I, I would say, and this bridges to humility and perhaps another tip is a focus on inputs rather than outputs tends to be a mistake that we're so numbers driven in a lot of our different roles and that we think, you know, I published this little sliver of an article and I gave that 
presentation, and therefore I'm an expert. Therefore, I have a national reputation in this area. And that's not as helpful as what was the impact of what you did. And that doesn't rely on how many individual articles you published or how many times you served on national committees. It's really what have your ideas done as they've circulated in the world. And that can be very powerful. I think it can help you overcome some of this bashfulness to boast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it is easier to stand by um, impact numbers than to just write a whole sentence of how glorious you are. (laughs) (laughs) Impact numbers are one way. It's a very traditional way. Citation (laughs) counts. That can tell a story. When I think about people who are in education, field, our our journals don't have high impact factors and citation counts don't tick up as quickly as they do in some of the basic sciences. And so your story about your dissemination may rely on other things like a curriculum you designed that's now in use at several different institutions or a uh, program or learning activity that you implemented and now the licensure passage rate for those students has skyrocketed because Mm -hmm. they have a greater understanding so it may be in a little smaller scale but just as impressive Mm -hmm. so i like that we're talking about these kind of numbers of impact and or you know writing down the impact of everything that you do beyond the little thing that you did. Um, and I, I think that's, that's one thing, at least in, in some of these selection review panels that I've been at, that we really look at is the impact. And I think applica- applicants often um, don't know how to write to highlight their impact because I think there's more than just you know the numbers and with each item um there's more ways that people can focus on their impact so what tips would you give for that it it helps to be a hoarder in this case (laughs) a hoarder meaning like consistently documenting and collecting everything that you do all the time (laughs) Our electronic storage systems make it so easy. It used to be you had a manila folder for research, one for teaching and one for service. And when someone wrote you a thank you note or there was some citation, you stuff it in the folder and send the I love this. So people should make like a folder on their desktop that says like a gold star folder or something like that. Like Oh, I think they should. And you can well you my make happy three. folder. At least at most institutions it's scholarship, teaching, and service. So you have three artificial electronic folders and start putting it in there. There's really no cost to, you know, admittedly, a, a nice email from a student thanking you for a great educational experience is not going to make or break. However, that becomes a record and you can track that person down and you can, you don't have to rely on the measures that your institution spits out for you. You can see what happens to the graduates from my program. What are the leadership positions they've taken on and how does that redound to you as a sign of your efficacy? So being really omnivorous with all the data you collect 
and organizing it in a way that'll help you keep your eye on impact. I I love this not only for the reason of promotion, but also just in the neuroscience of happiness and <laughs> motivation for people to improve. If you had a folder for yourself that just made you happy, <laughs> like on days when you're down, you know, and you don't feel motivated to just kind of flip through it and be like, hey, you know, I am, I am doing something good here. This is the reason yeah. why I'm here. Oh, you get that rejection notice. <laughs> is inevitable for all of us. And everyone's going to throw away their folders. (laughs) Well, yeah, don't put that in the folder, but go and look at your folder to counterbalance it with all the affirmative statements you receive. I think that's good. That's great, I I know I get comments from unusual places sometimes, or I see something I, I, in my field, it was book-driven when I was an anthropology professor. And things get reviewed in unusual places and your publisher doesn't always know or notify you and collecting those, that's a sign of reach. And they usually write something nice about, even if they pan other parts, you you have, you don't put that in your promotion dossier, but you keep track of the, the good things. And some of it may end up in your overall portfolio and some may not, but it does stand as a repository to your impact. That's great. I think that's great advice. I think another thing that would be great for our listeners to consider as they're writing their, for those that are, have decided to um, go ahead and go through the promotion process is to put themselves as a reviewer. And I know, you know, at least in the selection committees that I'm on, it's, you know, it's, you want to make the job of the reviewer easy. And Mm. when it feels difficult, And it's just, I have to put a lot of effort in as a reviewer. I've noticed that panels of reviewers, when it's just kind of choppy applications, someone will get stuck and hung up on like one little thing. And then the entire conversation is about this one little (laughs) thing. And that's just such a disservice to all of the other accomplishments. So, you know, what specific tips do you have around that? Well, I think your analogy with fellowships, or I would say even research grants is really apt. Janet, because it's the same idea. You have these volunteer reviewers who are following criteria who are overworked and under-resourced, and you don't want to put any additional burdens on them, but just as you would with a grant or a fellowship, take the criteria. So that's the same score sheet that the reviewers have, and put those headings right into your narrative. And of course, institutions have different formatting, but the more you can mirror what the guidelines are, the easier it it becomes for the reviewers to identify those markers of your meeting the benchmark. And don't just cut and paste. Don't worry about plagiarizing. Those are the terms they're looking for. So put it in evidence of impact. Or if in your institution, associate professor means national reach, put in national reach. And I, I tell folks when I work on their CVs, organize it that way. If you have regional conferences, national conferences and international conferences. And then the reviewers can say, oh, they have a regional impact, national and an international. So just plug in the words that they're looking for. Thanks, Peter. So I think this is great. I think we've got three tips that are useful to people who might be going through the promotions or people who are just thinking about it um, process. And um, and so if we can summarize what those three tips are. Yeah, and I think this speaks to our, our overarching theme of what's your delta, that 
It may require some change to think in these ways. One being to overcome your humility and toot your own horn appropriately. <laughs> I think I still need help with that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Go ahead. It's not, well, and you can go back to it after the promotion's in, then no one will know. <laughs> the, I think the, the second thing we talked about was focusing on impact and collecting evidence that's both broad and deep of the effect of your uh, work. Keep keep a happy folder. <laughs> <laughs> and and then your analogy of putting yourself in the shoes of the reviewer, make it easy for them. Don't assume that they know that this award that you got is the biggest one in your field. Mm-hmm. You have to spell it out for them and then show them how it demonstrates the meeting of the criteria. Well, this is great. Thank you so much, Peter. Are you feeling pumped? I'm feeling pumped. And I actually am dying to end this podcast so I can share my screen and show you my application. Ask your questions. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to our podcast. What's your Delta MGH Institute's three tips for faculty development. We hope you come back and listen to our future podcasts with your host, Janice Palaganis and Peter Kahn of the MGH Institute of Health Professions.